do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record? It's called TFSCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am on Twitter. It's not hard. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Unredacted. I am here. It's Emily Brandwin, and I'm here with my co-host, Philippe Brynas. Hey, Philippe. Hi. How are you, Lauren? Hi. Great. Thanks for nice having me. Nice to meet you. And uh, Nice to be here on Impeachment Day. <laughs> and I wanted, and just, we've been calling her Lauren, just so you know who our amazing guest is. It's Lauren Duca. How are you, Lauren? <laughs> I am really uh, excited that my, my book has finally been born. <laughs> I was going to say, it's fun. I A lot of folks, you obviously are super popular in social media. A lot of people will be listening to this podcast are going to be familiar with your tweets and also have read your work in Teen Vogue and Huffington Post, New Yorker, New York Times. I'm just dropping a few names. But um, your tweets, it's funny. It's, I love how you've been describing the book process because it truly is about, it's almost like birthing a child and gestating it and it, then its final formation and it's coming out. So congratulations. Thank you. So much. It was so much harder than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> um, and it, it changed me in a lot of ways. How, <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> how did it change you? Uh, well, you know, my life was radically different before. Uh, you know, I, I think maybe the book, in tandem with being catapulted to public figuredom right after the election, uh, it's it's it's. There are a lot of challenges with. Uh, anyone raising their voice in the political conversation and definitely a young woman doing that. And um, I think I really had to kind of winnow down exactly who I am. Uh, you know, I, I, it just feels like I was like kind of like forged in the fires of Mordor is I guess how I put it. It just was, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of room for um, anything that wasn't essential to me to not get burned away kind of in in the in the constant howl of criticism and harassment that comes along with this, but also the the process of writing a book, which is uh, perhaps not a sane thing for a human brain to do. You know, it's just, it's so long, and and if you have to tie together so many threads, uh, and it's you kind of really experience the limitations of the human brain, and it's uh, painful. Writing writing can be painful, um, and and not being able to. Um, conceive of what a thing will look like when you first started is such an odd experience, you know, because I, I kind of had been like the master of the op-ed. I, I felt like I was like a sprinter before, and then I basically begged to run a marathon, and they were like, yeah, sure, and I was like, oh, crap, like, I got to do this now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And it's also, <laughs> it's different. it's isolating, too, because you're doing it sort of in, a, in your own, like you said, your own cave, and it's, you, you're not getting to bounce off things, like with social media or with an op-ed we were talking about how you just catapulted into the, sort of the public zeitgeist with you had an amazing piece in Teen Vogue about Trump gaslighting America. It went viral. It had 1.5 million views. And all of a sudden you get that immediate feedback. And I'm assuming when you're writing that book, you you really don't get that. You don't know what's going to resonate. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I also had to kind of examine, um, you know, the way I felt like maybe I was getting getting a hit from publishing things on a quicker basis and I, I think a lot of my happiness was attached to oh I wrote a thing or oh I did a tweet and 
you know, the, the, the payoff on the, on the, on the book length thing took a lot longer. Um, and, it, and also after I finished this, the first draft of it, I really crashed um, because I was proud of what I had written and the thing finally came together and I almost couldn't believe it. And then like less than an hour after hitting send, that, that black hole of anxiety just started howling again and even louder this time because it wasn't attached to anything. Um, and I, I guess I had been operating under the assumption like, write book, put book where black hole is. And then like, <laughs> you'll be done. I don't know. Like it was just, it was, I had been in, I was in so much pain, I think, um, before for a lot of reasons. Um, and so like the book kind of pushed me to like really have to do the work on myself and be able to self, to self validate and find healing and, and heal myself. Um, in a really, really huge way. So I truly am so grateful for the way I experience life now in, and those, the, the kind of feeling that I had to do because I got pushed to a breaking point, both from being public and writing this book. And it was totally, totally excruciating, but it was worth it too. <laughs> and we keep talking about the book just so everybody knows. The book's called How to Start a Revolution, Young People and the Future of Politics. I want to make sure everybody yeah, knows. You. <laughs> You're welcome. And when does it actually hit? It's September 27th or? Yeah, it does. It just came out. It was live today. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah. Please, please do uh, buy a copy and maybe leave me, leave me a good review if you, if you enjoy it uh, and spread the word. I mean, I, I, I know I feel such a weird thing to go from being a writer to being kind of like a vaguely intellectual QVC host, you know, feels, <laughs> makes me a little uncomfortable, but I do really believe in this thing. And I, um, I, I, I've laid the, a foundation for a richer culture of democracy, um, invigorating the way that we participate in our political process and creating, giving people the tools um, and empowerment to operate with a level of self-determination um, that, that is missing. And especially for young people who are rethinking the political order and who makes the rules. So I, I mean, I really believe in it. And I think if used correctly, it could get those millions of young people in the political process that we need to really see a change um, and possibly something that looks like democracy for real, because that's not what we have right now. I was just reading a piece that um, I think it was in Yahoo News today that was talking about how a lot of these candidates aren't looking to the young vote and they're just discounting it and they're putting all their energy into Gen X and to the other demographics, which I think is is just a huge mistake. And I think books like yours where you're making politics more accessible, especially to young women and making making them realize that their voice matters and how they speak matters. They don't have to change how they talk or their intonation to to have a voice and to be powerful in politics is really important. Absolutely. And there's such a there's a performance of respectability that I, I just got really close to really uh, right away because uh, when I went on on Fox and had the, the notorious Tucker interview in which he told me to stick to the thigh high boots, that it that sort of really cast everything in very sharp relief for me because I was being rejected from the political conversation um, and told to stick to fashion and stick to entertainment as if those things somehow couldn't coexist, as if you couldn't have serious and non-serious interests. And then you really start to look at it and it's like, hmm, why do men who look like wolf blizzards receives an automatic scene of authority and why is it that golf and I don't know Brooks Brothers and boat shoes why is it that all of these things that are just like kind of arbitrary aesthetics of the white supremacist patriarchy just go better with politics 
And then, uh, like, to the end of the way that looks in terms of uh, youth voter outreach, it's conspicuously missing because it just it doesn't take a genius to market to young people, you know? It's almost like I feel like I could do parody campaigns of all these new kind of startup brands, right? Like, there's a sans serif font. There's a pop of bold color. Like, there maybe there's, like, a risky photo shoot or there's, like, a neon sign and a potted plant. Like, we know what these ads look like. And, and we know what the just junk next to the register at Urban Outfitters looks like like right like these aesthetics of instagram and like tumblr and you know this kind of like irreverent playful poppy shit we know what it is it's not so few campaigns even you know have have that even now and it's only just beginning to have that kind of thing be introduced like the aesthetics of aoc are a really good example where you're like whoa he's breaking down policy while sharing makeup tips while sharing an instagram story like if these campaigns were interested in reaching millennials they would be, tr- or or end the end, anybody younger than the people who are already voting, anybody younger than the people for who they have voter ID files and continue to court because they want to create the same conditions that allow for them to get elected in the first place, and they're not incentivized to expand the electorate. And that's about young people, which that's just a grotesque manifestation of how we can see that it's missing. But in general, it's about a total lack of responsibility in maintaining um, and expanding the health of our democracy. Um, and instead, it's all about holding on to power. And, and that, that's what's incentivized in our political process as it currently operates. Um, and that's what I'm fighting against. So, Lauren, as someone who has been on Tucker Carlson's show 13 times over the last year and a half, I can uh, empathize with with the incident. Can you tell us just the backstory, and please don't hold back any details about how absolutely horrid Ivanka Trump is. This is a safe space. This is a very, very, very safe space. We're not going to go Tucker on you. Pleasure to be here. This is so. The Tucker Tucker uh, people reached out to me in December of 2016. I guess it was it was, it was December 23rd, uh, and I didn't really totally know who he was. Like <laughs> I had seen the John Stewart clip. Like I knew about a bow tie, you know. But <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because when we talk about it now. Um, people have an awareness of him that's basically like a, a poster boy for for the white supremacy. And I think that uh, that's metastasized since our interview. Um, and kind of like an awareness of Fox and what Fox is. But my awareness of Fox going into it was still like, oh, like, these are the people that, um, you know, like made my parents just casually be talking about. Taylor like murders and saucer in the woods like that's the origin of that and <laughs> I was aware of that Fox has disinformation and conspiracy theory um at to, to a softer degree than we even have kind of like mainstream consciousness of it now but so anyway I was like okay but I can take them because they at least must be operating under the sheen of Republican respectability and rule of law, like LOL. Oh, or oh you're, that's, that's so sweet. adorable. It's really cute. Oh. It's quaint. <laughs> um, we're after after you were interviewing the Easter Bunny. <laughs> but yeah, I thought my dream viral interview was like, rare, rational conversation. Because I, I knew how they, they would probably see me, but I thought, what if I go in and I say, hey, what kind of power is Ivanka Trump being given? 
what, what, why aren't we interrogating that? Why aren't we asking questions about at least the obvious nepotism? And I, I thought that that at least we could have that conversation. And so, um, but it began with the incident on the plane. It feels so, so, so long ago. But yeah, there was like that, there was a passenger. Ivanka was flying jet blue for some reason. Um, you know, it feels like as, how could you not expect at the very least? Um, a reaction, uh, and she got a reaction, and, and it was, you know, sort of, why is, why is Ivanka on our flight? I don't totally remember the details of the incident, and I actually didn't even tweet about the incident specifically, but I did tweet about Ivanka and about how she has been complicit in electing the most anti-woman candidate of our time, and um, I really was interested in and remain interested in the way that she has provided sinister cover for Trump's misogyny um, because the sort of uh, suburban mom who's like, uh, Ivanka seems fantastic. Like, if she's cool with this, like, I could totally picture myself nail shopping with her at Macy's, so, like, probably this is fine. It's a very real thing. And um, so that's what I was interested in also critiquing. Um, and I was tweeting critiquing that, uh, making some jokes, you know, I was like, don't, don't write her off because she looks like she smells like vanilla. Like, She's so polished, right? And her posture is so good, and she just seems so manicured and 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 like the ultimate in polite. And it's just like that—the way that that is carted around as something that, in some way, would excuse evil because she like knows how to put an outfit together. It's just—it's really disturbing, right? So anyway, I've been tweeting stuff like that, and the producers reached out to me, and um, I, I guess I guess that they. They thought that they were going to bring someone on who was going to defend the man who had yelled at Ivanka on the plane. Um, however, I was not interested in falling into that civility trap. I mean, yeah, I actually totally think that we can be disrupting the peace of anybody who is participating in upholding an authoritarian regime. Like, no, those people should not get to enjoy their fucking tacos. But I do think that that is a trap um, that I saw myself uh, poss- you know, possibly very easily um, getting tripped up by uh, with the idea of uh, encouraging violence and the violent left. And these, these are the segments that followed about me, even though I didn't say anything um, to that end on Fox or, or publicly um, at that point. And uh, instead, I really held my ground and responded directly to what Tucker was saying in a way that I don't think he expected, because his entire method is you this trip you up right like it's this unabashed i'm gonna screw with you it's it's not it's nothing even remotely resembling an intelligent conversation it's like it's aggressive and it's mean it almost feels like a game show like when i look back at it it's kind of like it feels like it's like come on down to like defend your humanity where tucker carlson tries to like kneecap your will to live like it's just like just these like awful, disturbing, like, deliberate attempts to, like, make people confused and flustered and scared, and it's just, like, it's just outright bullying in a way that um, I have managed to now find very funny, because it's, it's almost like it was a relief to me, in a way, to be able to see the sexism that clearly, like, to be, for it to be that, like, patently ridiculous and turned into this caricature of this potato-head sexist pig saying, 
big to fashion and entertainment. I mean, sir, you have just given me a bullseye. You have just made this so impossibly clear for people to see. You fucked up. And I, I think that, like, I actually, that has been a perfect juxtaposition because previously it had been kind of this, like, stealthy, patronizing uh, reaction to my work, even, you know, this, oh, that, that gaslighting article is so good. You know, what, what made you put it in Teen Vogue? And, and it just is this, like, uh, this, this, like, weird questioning of, oh, do young women care about politics? I mean, it just, even, even when it was asked in a, in a, in a well-meaning, benevolent way, it's just so idiotic. And, um, I, I've been able to push back on it in, with a, with a very, um, clear cultural object that I happen to have been involved in. And I allowed me to really ground my thinking and clarify my thinking. Um, and I think, fucks it up at another level than I would have been able to before. Well, if I remember correctly, the interview, you were not on set with Tucker. You were remote, which to our viewers means um, you could have been in a different city. You're just in a room looking into yeah. a camera, which is very unnerving because there's no feedback. It's just this black hole and you have someone <laughs> talking in your ear. In the case of Tucker Carlson, you have someone yelling in your ear. You were Is that what you were doing? You were remote? That's right. I was remote, and um, did you ever watch the? Did you ever watch the interview? Because the best part of Tucker's interviews are the faces he makes when the other person is talking. I always, you know, when I do it on set and I'm four feet away from him, it's very, it's very distracting as he sort of wrinkles his oh, entire God, face. I can imagine it being close to me. That face. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah, I was. I was remote, and um, the the it was the. December 23rd, so it's the day before Christmas Eve, and um, the people who worked for Fox getting me set up remotely um, after the interview, they all sort of were very nervous, <laughs> and um, they kind of like timidly um, came up to me to take off my mic and stuff, and I was like, you know, like, uh, it's okay, like, you didn't just interview me, you know, don't worry about it, you're doing your job. Um, and I was like, kind of had my head down. And I didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I was like, these are just, you know, these are just, this is not like Tucker's lackeys. These are just people doing equipment. And I like had my head down. I'm like walking out. I'm like, all right, thanks everybody. Like, have a good night. And then it like occurred to me that I was at Fox, and I just had this like weird rush of adrenaline. And I was <laughs> like, never mind. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like ran away. And it was, I don't know. It was sort of a little deranged. But, like it felt really yeah. good. I- <laughs> What I've found is that the the crew, the audio guys, the TV people, uh, the camera people, and the makeup people, they're they understand. <laughs> they're yeah. they listen to it all day, and they're like, "What the hell are the we listening to?" Gave me extra love, and I yeah. I don't know. I want to be convinced that they were like, "Go damn girl!" Like, yeah. Well, they're I they're like often that. they're often African American women or minority women, and they're sitting there listening all day to women being <laughs> <laughs> women and people of color being attacked, and it's yeah. they 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 know where they're sitting. But you you deserve a lot of credit for doing it, and the one you know to whatever extent it was upsetting in the moment. The reason that I think it's great to do Fox is because it's so efficient. In seven minutes, you are antagonizing tens of thousands <laughs> of Republicans whose head explode watching us. They just can't help it, and I just find that so rewarding. <laughs> I you uh you have this you subscribe to the same uh, Twitter blocking technique that that 
I do, but ah. you described it as I use the block button like banging out Morse code. Yeah. yeah I like that. Yeah. I might steal that line. I, you can have it and you can use it. I mean, thank you. Uh, I, I, I think I think that, that that there is a time and a place uh, for a productive conversation, but it's usually not Twitter. <laughs> like, oh, you know, I just have to. I got so much garbage that I just have to protect protect my brain when I can. Well, and <laughs> well to, to, to tell you, you how oh, much, yeah. Say, to give you a little background, Emily can see me looking at my phone. Fleet? To give you the, the most com- most recent numbers <laughs> to show you how much we are comrades in arms. As of right now, I have one point one million four hundred sixty thousand four hundred seventy seven people blocked on Twitter. Hopefully, you're not one of them. It's like a scorched earth approach to blocking. People will tweet to me and say, "Why did uh, Philippe block me?" I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sniping know. with a rifle. I'm out there with a shotgun and birdshot. It's it's if there's collateral damage, so be it. There's but you also he also blocked the Pope and Tom Hanks. Yeah, there's some collateral damage. There's some collateral. <laughs> I don't know how you block Tom Hanks. I know I don't block. Wait, uh, why did you block Tom Hanks? Because I have a uh, a plugin, a Chrome plugin that lets me block an entire follower or following list with one click. And oh. sometimes, if you pick the wrong person and you <laughs> you block their follow, I learned the hard way that blocking people's following list is not a good idea. So mm-hmm. I have like hundreds of local weather people who I've blocked <laughs> because <laughs> that's who people so, follow uh, their, so, you know, their favorite so television shows. Yeah. Everyone's like, why does Philippe hate the weather? <laughs> he hates the weather. But it makes for much more, <laughs> it makes for a much more, you know, uh, happy environment. I think you were pretty smart for uh, deleting it off your, off your phone when you knew. That, yes. Uh, you, I hate it's always, that's always nice. I have to get rid of the app. Like, don't yeah. even get myself the temptation. And it's crazy. You know, it's crazy how quickly it does kind of go away. Yeah. It feels very much, very much like just, like, taking the covers off your head. Like, you can get kind of caught under there. <laughs> and it gets a little spooky. And then you're like, oh, okay, you can just take it off. <laughs> and, like, and, like just, it, it does go away, you know? And Well, it's uh, funny. I don't know if you saw it, but, but the chairman of Disney, Bob Iger, said that the reason that they didn't buy Twitter was because it's such a nasty piece of shit that there's just so much horrible stuff going on that it's just not the disney way no no it's not the disney way and they could literally buy anything and he's like nope it's garbage that is literally a big garbage cesspool i was gonna say i appreciate what you did though with tucker when he by literally reclaiming what he said about thigh high and you turned it into a column and it was now thigh high politics yeah why i don't understand why that was a an insult oh i mean well he was saying stick to writing about fashion i guess uh yeah i i uh i definitely yeah but both but both men and women love thigh high boots so (laughs) i'm not sure how that was (laughs) and it's 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 funny because i i I, I guess you you wouldn't see it being parroted still to this day i will get that in my mentions uh I don't. I don't know. I guess those are bots. <laughs> you know, yeah. They have to be bots, right? I'm hoping they're bots. Like, it would be pretty. There's a lot of them, but there's there's a lot of it triggers a lot of hatred. The the next time you do it, one thing that I find, if when you're making fun of Ivanka, you throw Jared in, you get much much fewer people uh, responding because no one wants to defend Jared. I mean, it's oh. it's the most it's the most 
bipartisan issue in America is that Jared's an asshole. <laughs> totally. We are united. <laughs> Maybe I should write yeah. one about Jared for, for teen Team Teen mode. Sports Illustrator team. <laughs> I don't know what there is. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, while I'm talking about this, the difficulty of being public, I would love to even address, if it's okay, some of the BuzzFeed stuff that went down last week. Sure. Um, because it is making me extremely frustrated. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I feel as if I... I'm held to such a crazy level of scrutiny uh, that my male counterparts don't even begin to touch. You know, there's like, hey, never Lauren, mind the methods. I yeah. would, can you explain just a little bit? Because I, Philippe and I know about the BuzzFeed, but I want you to give a little background and then explain it so people can kind of get the gravity of what you're discussing. Sure. Okay. So BuzzFeed did a profile of me, um, ostensibly pegged to me writing a book and the reason the profile is being written uh, and then proceeded to write a profile that totally minimized my work, uh, included a good review of it and then spent an entire paragraph digging for errors and reflecting on typos, erased my work. It um, reduced my sexuality to a line about me eating pussy despite the fact that I was being dissected um, as a cultural object who had emerged on Twitter and came out on Twitter earlier this year, so it erased my sexuality. And then it um, totally uh, dramatized a flawed first summer teaching at NYU where I had no experience uh, and still uh, gave my, you know, all my time and energy with enthusiasm and tried my best and, you know, maybe, maybe, um, I didn't effectively teach what I do, which is very nuanced and complex in the format of academia and rubric and institution. Um, and, and I was trying to express, uh, trying to teach my students to freely express their joy. And I felt as if there was a lot of a big block from the idea of grace. And <laughs> I don't think my teaching style connected. I don't think I, I think I, it's entirely possible that I'm a great writer and, not a great college professor. Um, and then part of the article was I got one of my students was a high schooler who was English as a second language. And it was, you know, we had some difficulties uh, communicating. And among them were, you know, some issues with the, the, the student not doing her homework. So um, I was accused in the BuzzFeed article of, of uh, targeting the student. And I, I didn't target anybody in my class any more than I would target someone for not doing their homework. And I've addressed all this in an article in Marie Claire. Um, and I, I might have just add a little bit more there. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting and I'm frustrated because, you know, I'm not, I, I guess I didn't do the greatest job at this thing that I did on the side uh, for a couple of weeks for not that much money, you know, kind of as a favor to NYU. And it got, my mistakes get so much coverage, um, but I poured my heart into this book that I spent three years working on, and it's intended to uh, empower public will and, and give people a look at a broken system head-on, a breakdown of the political-industrial complex in terms that I hope 
a 13-year-old could fuck around with and uh, a clear plan for a citizenship that is a thing that we do all the time. And I don't know. It was like, I'm basically good, right? <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm frustrated that that effort is um, being made to seem um, as if it's something uh, where in any way I would be profiting off of the movement I aim to serve because I hold myself to a very high standard of journalistic ethics and I fuck around a lot and I take risks and I am doing some crazy shit and I'm proud of it. I hold myself to a very high standard of truth and of duty to the public and uh, I make mistakes as well and I am the beneficiary of white privilege for definitely and I need to use it and I want to use it and I think I am using it to to work for the truer, more equitable society that we all deserve and I'm, I want to keep doing that and I want to I want to do it better and I want to evolve. And I think it's really unfortunate and it's really unproductive. Um, just not, not even as it applies to me, as it applies to any level of perfectionism in, in work for the progressive movement. And I guess no matter what your opinion is of me, dear listener, I, I hope you'll give this book a shot because I really believe in it. And I also think, you know, I think it's totally impossible possible for you to have your opinion of me and it might be good and it might be bad. And I think that either way we can agree that we're in a moment of democratic crisis. And I think I've created something here that I really believe can get millions of people involved in the political process. And I don't know, like hopefully everybody listening wants that too. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my monologue about that. Well, I mean, in addition to uh, suggesting everyone reads your book, there's a Marie Claire piece that um, is an interview, but it's really you speaking in first person. And yeah, it's... so it's weird because that was happening concurrently. So a lot of those... Uh, there was going to be a Marie Claire profile, and then the BuzzFeed thing happened, and um, I, the, the writer was kind enough to let me speak for myself in very large quotes that she had been gathering for me for a couple of weeks, and um, that felt really good. Cause... I, I read it. I read it three times. Um, it oh, is, really? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot in it, and I really – I mean, you're just a remarkably honest person, and I can see why – that might not work in some situations like, you know, a, t- a 2019 um, college classroom. I mean, not everyone can handle the truth to steal a line. And, you know, you're probably not cut out to be a nun either. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you're doing you're not doing exactly what you should be doing. I mean, I would have loved to have you as a professor when I was in college. Hell, I, I would love to take class now. <laughs> but it's funny because I, I was trying to be this, I was trying to be the professor that I, I would think my 18-year-old self would want now, but like at this point, like I've done so many psychedelics and believe in God and I'm a lesbian, so my head's at a different spot than like it was when I was 18. And like <laughs> I imagine that a lot of these kids haven't had the brain-opening experiences that I was maybe trying to abstractly to teach them, you know, like, the, the just it, it, that, I think, was my biggest failing. I feel like my teaching style was sort of like... Um, well, your, it, your teaching style was probably your style. Yeah. Your teachers... Sorry, go like ahead. me talking right now is basically what you can Yeah, but that's the thing. I, I would I would take that class in a second if it was just, you know, Duca 101 uh, and just listening to you to you speak. So... <laughs> I think it's it's their loss. I hope you uh, gave them all incompletes. Just kind of leave and them. I would add also, it's funny because that uh, well, not funny, but uh, when I when I got I heard about the complaint, like I was really surprised actually um, because I I was really proud of their final project and um, actually the Marine Clear reporter was in the classroom and watched their final project and I was just, like so pumped 
that there had been a witness because I thought they did such a great job. Um, and so I, I really also feel like I watched them evolve. And I was surprised that I had clearly upset someone um, and that they didn't feel like they had, you know, sufficiently learned over the summer. Um, and, and I actually, like, had my whole own, like, personal healing thing with it where I was like, Lauren, like, it is okay to fail, girl. Like, you're allowed to be flawed. You don't have to be the best at everything you do. It's okay to fail. Like, I was being so, like, Oprah mothery to myself. And then I finally, like, feel like I, like, hit that place. And then I get an email that's like, BuzzFeed has word that you failed. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, it's not okay to fail, actually. This is going to be a problem. (laughs) When you found out that that article was happening, did you – I can't imagine because I – I'm on social media and I saw it and I was like, I don't know how you were even mentally able to handle it. It Because you're so public, I kept thinking she's allowed to take risks, but you're not allowed to take risks. And it was, it was so much and it was so heavy. And I know we're laughing about it, but I, I was wondering how you were. And I was worried about you as somebody, you know, as we interact on Twitter, I was like, I don't know if I should reach out or what I can do. And I just, I felt for you in that moment. I just felt like it was, it was an onslaught and it was the ultimate Twitter pile on in that moment. Yeah. You know, well, it was really hard at first. And, um, I had to, I think I got to like a darker spot than I have in a while on it because it was just, there was some really gleeful maliciousness in it. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I actually needed to like seek out some some guidance. Um, I started kind of I started going to this queer church ever since I've gotten expanded myself spiritually, and I don't identify as a I just identify as spiritual, but queer church is really cool. And um, I reached out to my pastor for guidance on this, and and um, that felt really good. And uh, I you know I was spiraling and knew to go for help, which felt good and then also to have my pastor be like hey a mean thing is happening it just put in a lot more perspective because as I was like scrambling to make sense of it because my perspective of the situation is that I I worked really hard and tried tried to create a a, a public work that is I think funny and smart and good and and then I did a class and it didn't go so well and (laughs) and I, I wanted I was being held up as like cruel and stupid and mean and ridiculous and that really hurts um and I think I think it's still it, 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 I know that it still hurts but uh I I I am hoping that I can that the attention will allow me to continue a productive conversation you know because I feel like part of part of what's being leveraged against me just in general as like a reason to hate Lauren Duca is the idea that I'm like trying to get attention and it's like yeah I'm fucking trying to get attention I want to change shit I want to use the attention I want to capture your attention and I want to use it to get you to be involved and to be fighting for equality and to be fighting for a better world and I want to hook your attention and empower you with information I'm a writer I want you to read my words I want my words to change the fucking world yes I want attention I don't know, like this is weird like getting attention influencer somebody asked me yesterday some idiot um mike pesca real human penis of a person i'll just say that uh, on the record uh but i did nice. uh, oh, is he, is he the podcast is he the guy the, the bill me, de blasio bernie bro guy uh, he asked me he asked me Ooh, do, uh, you, you identify as an influencer and because i do I I, I I i i sure i have no problem with that word i am influencing people and I'm also a journalist and I'm holding I'm an influencer who holds myself to a standard of journalistic ethics 
And um, I don't think we've seen a lot of examples of that. And I, I wish we had more. I think that people are looking for guys that they can trust in this chaotic time and who want to use their voice in a way that's motivated by truth and good. And um, there's this, this, this way that young women trying to have a stake of the conversation at all is, is framed as, as ridiculous and greedy. And um, I, I, I know that I get a lot of attention and, and I, um, I refuse to apologize for the ways in which I do it and I'm going to keep using it to fuck it up. Well, and you're also, you're not just sort of walking the walk. You're, I'm using this phrase, right? But you're walking right and you're talking the talk. Did I use that phrase right? Anyway. <laughs> well, whatever. I am being, I am being both performative and demonstrative. Thank you. Because <laughs> I, was, I was impressed with, with all that you did with Rise Up for Row. And my favorite is that you did, you asked people to make, if they, they showed you that they made a $5 donation to Planned Parenthood, you would write them a haiku. And I thought it was brilliant. And I thought, well, this is a woman who knows how to use her voice, her influence in a way that's really productive and is moving the needle. And I've never thought of, of an influencer or something that, that's negative. And I think people like to throw that shame on that word. And it's not. Yeah. And you're using it, you're using it to do something better. And I, and I was, that to me is where I, I was excited about this book and I was excited about you doing this book. Thank you so much. And I also, you know what? I think, and I, I could do more and I will do more as I, as I learn to better use my voice and to better untangle um, the, 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 the place I'm at in the world we're in. I think like, we, like this remains a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy and we're all dirty in it and we need to take responsibility. And, and I think, you know, I also know what I symbolize and I know the optics of what I symbolize and I, I am responsible for it and I do make mistakes and um, I want to keep being responsible and doing the best I can. And I think that kind of like what sucks is this perverse incentive structure, like just to make it about something even beyond me. I was reading an article about Warren uh, rejecting big donor donations and then the article was framed as open secret. And it, this was in the time, too. This wasn't even like Breitbart or Fox. If they had this like picture of her face, it was kind of like darkened out. It was wild. And then the framing of the article was like, the big secret is that she used to take money from big donors. It's like, oh, uh, she was doing the thing and then she stopped. Like, what is your criticism? And I, I guess like that almost, that simplified, idiotic kneecapping of progress. It's just so crazy. It's such crazy hypocrisy because it's like, well, she wouldn't get that criticism if she just continued taking money from big donors. Like, how is change supposed to happen? What are you saying? And I think that that, like, that applies across the board for, like, people who are trying to do better. Um, the world we're in is the world we're in, and we have to make it better, and we're going to have to continue, like, rewriting and untangling, and um, there is no version of perfect and perfectly pure work in the imperfect, totally fucked world that we're trying to fix. And can you just, uh, cause I don't want to plagiarize this wrong and say it the wrong way. I love how you've been signing your emails. Is it with Elizabeth level enthusiasm or how do you, <laughs> yes, I did. I said that on email with Liz Warren enthusiasm and it brought me such joy. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, Oh, shoot, I wish I remember who tweeted it. Um, I think Luke, uh, okay, I'm blanking on his last name, but it was like, I don't even think Elizabeth Warren sleeps. She just like sits up with her arms akimbo and then goes, well, like, it just, she has so much energy and like so much passion for change. I mean, that's, that's, that's 
it's just so beautiful to watch her because you just can you can feel her heart filling her plans with joy. <laughs> she's amazing. We're, I'm, we don't deserve her. We really, really don't. I really think she's going to win, by the way. I'm like full optimist on America 2.0, and I, I really think that she has what it takes, and it's going to go all the way. Philippe, what do you think? I, I could not disagree less and agree more. <laughs> um, I'm just, I hope that the things that kick in in terms of sexism and misogyny and the right wing, uh, I hope they don't get the better of her. Yeah, I, I think that we're pushing past. Another thing that's, I think, really interesting um, in the online conversation and um, in, in the primary is, like, the, the sort of disconnected um, groupthink and mob mentality that, that has people doing a sort of uh, reliance on, on the punditry and on, on, on the consensus as it is formed before they've even thought for themselves. It looks like with Elizabeth Warren, it looks like this conversation about electability where, you know, Joe Biden entered into the conversation and, and barely raised an eyebrow. And then there was this mythology about his electability that was just like spinning itself in this like bizarre, like self-fulfilling prophecy creation thing um, immediately began spiraling as soon as he stepped onto the stage. And I guess it's begun to erode because he's just performed so poorly in so many ways. Um, but, you, you know, for a while, there was this very, um, there was this thread of conversation about electability and this idea of people thinking, not even just Liz Warren, but definitely her in many instances, was exciting, and but but not not the one who could beat Trump, and, and not based on what that person thought, but because of what they assumed other people would think of that candidate. And it's like, yo, you need to check in with what you really feel, and you need to check in with your, you know, your critical thinking. I, I, that, that applies to not just navigating the primary, but just raising your voice online. And I think, like, the same sort of thing is happening with the toxic pylon and with a lot of public opinion where there's this glomming on to groupthink and acceptable belief. And people are afraid to say what they really feel and to take risks and to, to put themselves out there. And um, because it is a, a difficult dangerous moment where we're kind of navigating all our norms and values um, in real time and there's an uneven distribution of consequences and there's a toxicity to the political conversation that, that can be genuinely dangerous um, but you need to you know believe that your heart is in the right place and if, you, I mean, if you're motivated by building equality and public will you know you, you need to be speaking up and, and calling things out and raising your voice in a positive productive way that's intended to move us forward and and to do so from a place of figuring out what feels true to you rather than being incentivized um, by being one more body to jump on the stupid latest pylon because it's it's vicious and it's negative and it's 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 wasting time and in general just you know I think everybody should should spend a little more time thinking for themselves. Yeah, I, I mean I've been around Joe Biden enough both as senator and vice president to really like him and respect him and think we could do a lot worse. Mm -hmm. But there is something infectious about Elizabeth Warren and every day and how she is campaigning. She's loving it. She is doing it the way she wants to do it. She's yeah. talking about Believe, real stuff. I would say we could do a lot worse is basically his tagline. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, but that's, I mean, what, what this is coming down to is a battle between 
uh, our our being the party, the party's head and the party's heart. And, you know, historically, the party's heart has won out. It would be very out of the historical norm for Joe Biden to be the nominee, both because of his age, because uh, he's run for president. This is his third time, and that just tends to not be who we uh, elect. Now, on the other hand, I, I there are Elizabeth Warren still she she's going to face fewer or less uh, weaker headwinds than Hillary did because um, everyone faces less than the person before. I hope uh, I hope that just she can get past them this cycle, um, you know. And but I would I would be. I think I'd personally be happier trying and losing with her than um, going with some ostensibly less risky or risk-free choice, which is also crap. But you know, I'm with you 100 percent on. Um, I, I will. I will. This is verifiable on Twitter. I, when she did her her DNA uh, stuff last October, I was one of the very few people who said. Look, that was a car wreck, but I really am glad she did it. She needed to do this. This was smart timing. And the whole, you know, political establishment said she's dead in the water. This was existential. She just killed, you know, any chances. And it took a long time for people to come back from that. But to what you're saying about electability, um, you know, the very first day or the day before, the day after she declared, there was a story that said, does uh, Elizabeth Warren have a likability problem? And I think if I had pulled the 2016 story about Hillary, it probably would have been word for word. And, you know, I, a lot of people have to do their parts for Elizabeth Warren to become president of the United States. The parts that she can handle, the parts that she can take on, I have every confidence that she could knock the shit out of anything that she can control. But there's I, so I much totally of this. Agree with you. Just, I, but I there's so that, much of this that, that is beyond any person's control. And I say that, well, I, I mean, we don't, we don't, we haven't met, but I worked, I've worked for Hillary for 17 years. And there are just a lot of things that I didn't even appreciate at the time that are just, there's too much of the, there's too much assumption that problems were specific to Hillary as opposed to problems that can be imposed on everybody. And I think what's going on with Biden now is a good example. Um, and I, I, I think if anyone can withstand it, I think she can. And I'll do you one better. I believe it should be a two-women ticket. And that's what, I'm, I'm dead and serious. I, think, I would say, yeah, I want to emphasize that a lot of people have to do their part for Elizabeth Warren to become president. Like, I... My, the thing that I'm covering in my book is this shift in moving from passively navigating this broken system to actively taking a role within it. And this, this understanding of there's already been numbers we can look at in terms of an increased voter turnout and the midterm showed the historic turnout and the share you know, of the electorate that young people have in 2020 when we will almost certainly turn out in higher numbers is one part of it. But it's beyond, beyond that basic most minimum level of transaction there's there's a bigger 
shift in behavior on display. And so I interviewed a lot of really exciting young people like AOC and Lauren and David Hogg from Parkland and other really exceptional people who had totally changed their lives to respond um, to, and to, to, to the problems they saw and to make the world a better place. But there's also a shift in behavior at like a lower level where people who didn't weren't following the news before are now feeling obligation to be informed to be able to be voting and to be having those conversations and just uh, there's a shift in um, feeling a sense of agency and self-determination and that's 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 part of the crucial thing that clicked and it, we moved from understanding democracy as a thing that we have when it's really a thing that we do and um, I definitely I didn't write my book uh, to elect Elizabeth Warren to the presidency, but I feel like it would be awesome if it helps because I think it's part of what she believes in. I feel like she's running for office um, by asking voters to give her power. She's running to office by 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 forming selfie lines and, and making those one-on-one connections and building real grassroots energy and interest um, that will last for so long in a way and like it's it, it, it intangible I, I mean she's she's reminding people that they have a voice and that they deserve to be convinced i mean i think it all sounds so obvious and so brilliant and so sorely lacking from so many other politicians it's certainly one person alone can't fix it um it also happens to be cool that she's diagnosed the problem i think correctly and that's the truth that wealth tax is just totally brilliant and practical and so easy. I can't believe we waited this long to do it. But it's just the bigger thing has to be a sustained shift um, and a, a regular commitment to doing the work of democracy, of being in contact with elected officials, making your voice heard through donations or showing up to organize, um, whatever the case may be. There are so many options for, for putting your opinions into action and for, for, for that has to be done kind of at a da- in a daily routine way. Um, well after Elizabeth Warren's inauguration day. And it has to be a sustained new tradition of democracy where it's like, we, this is how we do things now. We are doing democracy and taking part in it all the time. So I, I definitely well, also, you know, there are parts, there are things that people can do that we never really talk about, which is, you know, first off, when I think about 2016, and not just 2016, 2012, 2008, there's been a trajectory where the media has just been going deeper into Shitsville than four years earlier. She can't count on the media to to be any better than they were. She can't count on the right wing being any less effective than they have been. Uh, now we have the added problem of you know we've got every you know Tom Dick and Putin in the world thinking that they can fuck with us in our election system. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you know if if she were to become the nominee and to lose, one of the things that would probably contribute to it is this idea that people kept to themselves that um, a woman shouldn't be, or frankly, if she doesn't get the nomination, it'll be just nervousness about a woman being the nominee because it didn't work out with Hillary. And every Democrat that thinks that needs to just whack themselves in the head. And if you have a friend that thinks that whack them in the head and get that out of your system, because the reason that you're not saying violence, (laughs) the reason, the reason that, that works is because people let it work. And Mm -hmm. you just have to say, you know what? Everyone is going to build on the person before. And, you know, Hillary lost, but she made incredible headway. And if Elizabeth Warren stands on her shoulders and pushes through the rest, then that's the way it goes. But everyone needs to believe. But people are so, I agree, but people are so frightened. They're so horrified about what happened before, and they're frightened that if, 
another woman is obviously they see it as a Hillary surrogate. It's going to happen mm-hmm. again. And I agree with you a million percent, but I'm also well, people not, should be scared, but terrified. You can take that fear. That's why I don't make think it a two woman ticket is going to happen. Not into paralysis. No, I'm telling you, a two woman ticket is genius. I love the idea. I, I don't actually, have that optimism at all. I, I've, you know this, I've in 2016, yes. to the extent that I had any vote, which I really you, didn't, but my vote to Hillary was that she pick Elizabeth Warren. Well, I, 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 you know, I think you're right that we, we all we have to can't let it continue to be the case. And it's more of that, you know, pundit like, oh, a woman doesn't have a chance because a woman doesn't have a chance. It's like based on what? Um, everything's different now, you know. All the old rules. I think all the old rules have been, got thrown out the window the second that Donald Trump became president because everybody who's in charge told us that was never going to happen. And so they clearly don't have any idea what they're talking about. Well. We loved chatting with you, and I hate to end it, but I want to just make sure that everybody knows where they can follow you. And they can follow Lauren on Twitter, at Lauren Duca on Twitter, and at Duca.Lauren on Instagram. And most importantly, her book, How to Start a Revolution, Young People and the Future of Politics, is on sale right now, and you can get it. I have three teen nieces, and they're all going to get a copy because I am... I'm so, it's so important to me. I end every email with, to them with, and make a run for the White House. And they've now told me to take it down a notch, but it's literally every email because I want them to realize their power and their voice. And I think this is so important. So thank you. Oh my God. I cannot wait for that upcoming ticket, your niece and your other niece. (laughs) (laughs) No, we can't wait that long. We can't wait till they're 35. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really this was great and I, I really appreciate I really appreciate the ability to talk about all the stuff. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm so glad I, I'm so glad all the timing worked out and congratulations again. And we're gonna have to make sure to meet in person. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks yep. again. Thank you, Lauren. Bye.